This is Unfiltered, episode 80 for January 8th, 2014. You know, listen, if you do it responsibly, uh, you don't get behind the wheel. You do it in a, in a private, confined space. You do it safely. No harm, no foul. You like mean drinking. a private space like your home where you're supposed to be taking care of your children or cooking at a gas stove or lighting a fireplace? You mean that place? Yeah, no. Not a good idea. Okay. Uh, look, I don't want, when I'm at work, I don't want my babysitter high on pot. Hmm. All right? Does anybody? Do you want your children? Do you want your parents, your sister, your brother to be taken care of or driven around by somebody on pot because it's okay in Colorado? You know what? Colorado gets what they ask for. I know people are screaming at the television agreeing with you I'm sure. and vehemently disagreeing with hey, you. Hey, look, the ones that are disagreeing are lethargic sitting on the sofa eating chips. Oh, oh that is a fat and lazy. There. Coming up on this week's episode of Unfilter, a lot's happened over our holiday break. We'll round up the critical revelations in the NSA spying programs and the major legal challenges the NSA is facing. Then on January 1st, 2014, recreational cannabis stores opened their doors in Colorado and sparked interest all around the world. We'll check in on the first few days of making history. Now, the national debate has started and the pundits take to the air to weigh in, but their analysis misses the target. Plus, live calls, our follow-up, and much, much more on this week's episode of Unfiltered. Welcome to Unfilter, episode 80 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's distracting you from all of that TV you shouldn't be watching. My name is Chris, and Mr. Chase is out this week. He's down in Vegas, braving it for us. He'll be back next week, I promise. And he'll even be joining me on Sunday on the Linux Action Show to tell us all the cool stuff he found. But never fear, I have assembled a virtual quorum of skeptics. Hello there, Mumble Room. Hello, my name is Chris. My Hello, name is my Edmond. Name is- Hello, my name is Zakathi, and I hate Nancy Grace. <laughs> I'm Joe. Hello, See? Here. Hello, guys. I'm not Bryant. Hello, not Bryant. I'm, I'm the NSA agent. Hey, NSA and agent. Wolf Larson. Hello, Wolf Larson. Well, hi, guys. Thanks for joining me. Uh, you'll be my uh, quorum of, uh, of uh, skeptics who can uh, kick things around and, and feel free, by the way, as we go to disagree with me. You always get the right of way. This is uh, episode 80 is a little different because it's... Our first episode of 2014, and it's almost more like an extended supporter show. We were off for uh, Christmas and New Year's. Unfiltered landed on both of those in the last two weeks. Now, we kept having supporter shows, and some big stuff came out while we were gone, but now we're back. So we're going to try to do some catch-up. But uh, if you got a cold one, pour it. I got uh, a little uh, little Jack Daniels on the rocks as we sit here and uh, chat with the Mumble Room and go through some of the big NSA stuff that came up. And then um, as the clock struck midnight in Colorado recreational marijuana stores door their doors opened and crowds came in by the hundreds and we'll talk about that and where that's all going 
But the, one of the things I wanted to focus on, because the Unfiltered show has been like a, a dog with a bone with this NSA story, is I wanted to get you guys all caught up on some of the more important things that happened while the Unfiltered show was away. Uh, let's start in chronological order. This one made the rounds on the Jupiter Broadcasting subreddits, and people are like, what the heck are they doing? And uh, yes, according to the Snowden leaks, the NSA wants to build a quantum computer. And we begin with breaking news about the NSA. The spy agency hoped the leaks would stop in 2014. They hoped wrong. Today, the Washington Post is reporting on NSA efforts to build a supercomputer, or what they refer to as a cryptologically useful quantum computer capable of breaking any sort of encryption on the Internet. Documents provided by Edward Snowden reveal that the project is part of a nearly $80 million research program called Penetrating Hard Targets. Civilian computer labs have long been working in the field of quantum computing, cutting-edge science requiring large, shielded rooms known as Faraday cages to create supercomputers that have far more capabilities than classical computers we all use today. Despite the amount of money and attention devoted to their quantum computer project, it appears the NSA is no further along in research than top civilian labs. But experts believe a fully functional quantum computer could be built within 10 years with code-breaking capabilities that could render all forms of online encryption unreliable. Mm, I know the mumble room is supposed to be the skeptics of the group here, but I got to be honest, this one's ringing a little ridiculous to me. This sounds like a nice to have, uh, like, sure, yeah, we're the NSA. We'd love to have a quantum computer. But actually getting a quantum computer, I don't know. I mean, that sounds like a little outside their reach. And like he says there in that clip, they're only as far along as private uh, institutions are. Uh, Mumbaroom, any of you guys uh, doubt this uh, quantum computer or think it's yeah, legit? I, I just wonder if the NSA even knows what a quantum computer is and how difficult that is to achieve. Well, I mean, you know, I'll say this, and I'm not saying I believe that they have one or they'll have one even in the next five years. But I think we should have learned our lesson not to underestimate the NSA. Not, not, not to mention that you have a compatibility issue between regular computers and quantum computers. It is just like how John Clark said, it's a quantum leap. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, I don't know. That was just something that was making the rounds. And I, I wanted to address it because I saw it discussed a lot in the Jupiter Broadcasting community. This was a little more interesting to me. And I was surprised it took this long to happen. But Bernie Sanders uh, asked point blank uh, via a letter to the NSA, are you monitoring Congress? And my first thought was, is why has this not happened before? We know it's collecting data on phone calls and emails, uh, even spying on some world leaders. But is Congress also a target of NSA surveillance? One lawmaker is demanding answers. And I'll speak to Senator Bernie Sanders about his letter to the NSA in just a moment. But first... Our, na- our chief national security correspondent, Jim Schuto, is here with more on what's going on, including some possible reforms or changes within the NSA. That's right. Well, remember, the president has promised to give a speech later this month outlining his changes to NSA mass surveillance. So he's been reviewing these 46 recommendations from this intelligence panel. And from the indications we're getting from the changes that the administration has signaled its openness to, you get a sense of substantive but not necessarily radical reform of the mass surveillance program. At the same time... With a presidential speech planned this month, the administration is preparing a series of reforms to put the NSA under tighter control. 
One possible reform would put a public advocate on the secret intelligence court known as the FISA court, where now judges only hear from government lawyers. Another would move telephone metadata from government hands back to the private sector. A congressional source tells CNN one additional prospect would be for the FISA court, located inside this D.C. federal courthouse, to approve searches of the metadata by the NSA and FBI on a case-by-case basis, with the FBI director able to grant quicker approval in emergencies. Still, critics say that even these changes would leave the government collecting massive amounts of data unnecessarily. We can't continue to refer to ourselves as a quote-unquote free country uh, when the United States government is collecting information on virtually every telephone call made in America, getting into people's emails, uh, focusing on the websites that certain people are visiting. And I want to point out, too, that I'm not so sure I'm comfortable with uh, moving this data to uh, private companies, this metadata. In fact, uh, the NSA's director, uh, not to agree with Keith Alexander, but he told an advisory panel, the Review Group on Intelligence and Communications Technologies, that the NSA itself seriously considered moving to a model in which data is held by the private sector. This isn't the first time we've heard Alexander say this either. But according to the Review Group member, Alexander told the group that no one else wanted the data, especially not the phone companies. And the member said they described a lot of hot potato back and forth. And one of the things Alexander has said in the past is like, uh, what are we going to get? All of these phone vendors to agree on the same common database API that we could access when we need to search something? What's the point of that? And plus, you got to ask yourself, if this data is stored by them, what are they going to do with it? Maybe they already have it, but it seems like it gives them potential for abuse, potential for marketing, potential for invasion on privacy, all these kinds of things. Visiting. Sanders says he may be one of those people. He sent a letter to the NSA director, General Keith Alexander, asking, quote, one very simple question. Has the NSA spied or is the NSA currently spying on members of Congress or other American elected officials? The NSA's only answer so far, that members of Congress have, quote, the same privacy protections as all Americans. (laughs) So that means yes. Yes, their their response was that members of Congress have the same privacy protections of all Americans, i.e., we're watching you, boy. Congress have, quote, the same privacy protections as all Americans. Senator Rand Paul, another ardent critic of mass NSA spying, now wants to take the NSA to court with a class action lawsuit. A class action lawsuit with hundreds of thousands of participants really beats home and brings brings to the forefront the idea that this is a generalized warrant and it should be considered unconstitutional. A senior administration official has given CNN some more details just now on where the White House stands. First, on transferring that metadata back to telecommunications firms. This official says they have heard that some of these telecoms firms have, quote, significant concerns about holding the data, so not necessarily willing partners on taking this data back from the NSA. One more recommendation from the panel had been regarding these national security letters, which are kind of like subpoenas to to, uh, access personal data, including phone records. No, they're not. They're not like that at all. Uh, Access personal data, including phone records. But this a senior administration official tells CNN, CNN that some intelligence agencies have concerns that that would raise the bar for intelligence cases above even where they are for criminal cases. Look, if we're going to spy on somebody, we got to make it easy. We shouldn't have to go through these hoops. For intelligence cases above even where they are for criminal cases. So some pushback on that as well. Lots going on, Jim Shudo. Thanks very much. And the independent senator from Vermont is joining us right now, Senator Bernie Sanders. Senator, thanks very much for coming in. My pleasure. 
You wrote a pretty strong letter uh, to uh, General Keith Alexander, the head of the NSA, and you asked if the NSA has or is spying on members of Congress right now. Uh, what prompted you to write this letter? Well, to be very honest with you, I was on a couple of TV shows here in the state of Vermont, and the journalist asked me, do you think that the NSA is spying on you? And my initial thought was, of course not. Really? And then I thought about it. Really? And I wasn't sure what the answer was. Oh. And, and being unsure about whether or not the NSA is spying on members of Congress made me think that it's imperative to get a flat, straight-out answer from these guys. What we do know, of course, is they have tapped the phones of uh, foreign leaders around the world who are our allies. Uh, I can remember back, as you can, Wolf, you know, 40 years ago we had a president named Richard Nixon. And he was prepared to do everything that he could to destroy his political opponents. And, and what I worry about uh, is if you have some other president like that or some rogue agent within the NSA, it's just an extraordinary amount of information and power that they can have over Congress, blackmail members of Congress. Not a good situation. I take it you have not yet received uh, either a formal or informal reply from the NSA to your letter. Is that right? That is correct. What, what did occur, apparently, is on Sunday night, in response to media requests, the NSA uh, issued a press release in which they said, basically, that members of Congress were being treated uh, the same way the general public was, which means that information on us is also being compiled. Exactly. I'm glad he just said it the way it is. And later in the interview, uh, Sanders points out that his concern here is is that you could have a Nixon-type president in the White House in the future, or maybe a president that we don't think is a Nixon-type, but really is, and he has now all of a sudden access to a vast amount of information about his political opponents. And I just, that seems, humans are, you know, when they get in power, weird things happen to our the way our brain functions, I believe. And we look at the world in a different way, and to me, this looks like, a, a treasure trove for these guys. What do you guys think? Agnew, get me in my chair. <laughs> one thing about what you just said, Chris. Yeah, yeah, please. I, I think that um, when you were talking about some president in the future, what about the president right now? Right, what totally. What if he's trying to do that to destroy hopes for Republicans? And I'm a Republican, but I don't think what Richard Nixon did was good either. And he's Republican. But my point being is that we just don't know if Obama is who he says he is. Right. Well, it, it, it generally appears that these guys are never who they say they are. They say one thing publicly and they do another thing behind closed doors. So it would, say, it would stand to reason, too. Like, once you get into power, you can justify things a lot. Like, you know, well, look, uh, I just want to bring health care to America, and so uh, some of these people are trying to stop this, so we need to monitor them so we can get a little bit of intelligence on what they're going to do because my agenda of bringing health care to every American is so important. It's, a, it's, it's, it's generally a matter of national interest, so we have to monitor these people. I mean, you could see how you could justify these kinds of things, even in supposedly trying to do the right thing, quote-unquote. Right. I, I think it, also it, to take ahead, the Chris. next step is that it's a way to stifle the, the opposition. Yes. Meaning right. getting rid it's, of it's their a... freedom of speech. Whether you're a Republican or not doesn't matter. It's what, what they're trying to do to the Republicans. Right. It's, we're human. We have time and again that when, when the uh, potential abuse is there, it will be taken. Um, 
it already has been by the uh, by various people in the uh, NSA, and it, it'll happen again on a much larger scale by our politicians who will try right. to control the output because it's all they have all the power, and we don't know about it, or we wouldn't know about it if not for uh, Snowden. Right, it never would have come out, and they would just be controlling. Well, and you know me, I like to fry a little conspiracy bacon here, and I like to. And this is just an example. I'm not saying this is what happened, but I look back at David Petraeus, and you could see how either email monitoring of Gmail accounts led to the removal of David Petraeus, the director of the CIA, or how in a future scenario that kind of thing, going into his metadata, seeing who he's talking to, seeing that he was calling Paula Broadwell and sending her emails. Right. That all could be used as blackmail to get him out. And I'm not saying that's what happened this time, although it could have. But I'm saying it will happen. It almost is a certainty that it'll happen because it's just too damn easy. And as you add search selectors and all these kind of things where it's just a matter of a few selectors and you can follow everything the person's done because you've got all of it on file for the last five years. It, it's too good. to t- it's, it's just too good. It's too good to say no. And unfortunately... Now, last time we had an episode on the air, things were looking good. A judge had said, hey, this, uh, this NSA metadata collections, not only is it potentially unconstitutional, but it's a bit Orwellian. Well, since that episode, a federal judge has actually ruled that the NSA's metadata collection is constitutional. Now to the debate over the National Security Agency's collection of millions of Americans' phone records. On Friday, a federal judge here in New York said that the massive collection of data is legal, but the matter may not end there. Chip Reed is with the president in Hawaii. Chip, good morning. Chip. <laughs> well, good morning, Anthony. We have now have two decisions from two different federal judges, and they are directly contradictory. Both of the decisions are being appealed, and it's looking increasingly likely that this issue could wind up before the United States Supreme Court. Which makes me In nervous. a 54-page ruling, New York federal judge William Pauley said the NSA's phone call data collection program does not violate the Constitution's ban on unreasonable searches and seizures. There is no evidence, the judge wrote, that the government has used any of the NSA data for any purpose other than investigating and disrupting terrorist attacks. The judge cited specific examples of terrorist plots that were foiled by the NSA's collection of what? every thread of telephone call information. Now, remember, the last judge said that there was no evidence. And even now, we know it's been narrowed down to one account, and that was a money transfer to Yemen. I mean, what, what information is this judge going off of? Collection of every thread of telephone call information. And he added, as the September 11th attacks demonstrate, the cost of missing such a thread can be horrific. Ooh, 9-11. The opinion acknowledges former NSA contractor Edward Snowden's unauthorized disclosure of the data collection and adds that despite the public debate and litigation, such a program, if unchecked, imperils the civil liberties of every citizen. But the judge noted that in this case, the program is not unchecked. It is overseen by the Department of Justice, the intelligence community, a special federal court, and Congress. The decision made Friday dismisses a lawsuit brought by the American Civil Liberties Union and is in direct conflict with a decision by U.S. District Court Judge Richard Leon, who ruled against the government earlier this month, calling the government surveillance program almost Orwellian and what once would have been considered the stuff of science fiction. Both cases are being appealed. The opposing decisions make it more likely that the Supreme Court will eventually decide this issue. 
The White House had no comment on Friday's ruling, but earlier this month, a presidential panel recommended major changes to the NSA program. And Anthony and Vanita, a senior White House official here in Hawaii, told me that when the president returns to Washington in January, he will propose a specific set of reforms. And for the chat room. Jerem thinks that judge was bought off. So I, this is I mean, he's citing 9-11. He's saying it's shown to stop terrorist attacks, although at the same time, they can't say which terrorist attacks were stopped, even though it was originally it was a 50s and the oil in the U.S. is about a dozen. Oh, it whittled down to one. Oh, OK, fine. Well, that's good. Now, of course, as expected, on Thursday, the ACLU filed a notice that will appeal Polly's or Paley or have you say Polly's decision. Polly wants a cracker before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. The Civil Liberties Group said in the statement that it anticipates making its case before appe- appealing it uh, in court. The government, they said, has a legitimate interest in tracking the associations of suspected terrorists. But tracking those associated does not require the government to subject every citizen to permanent surveillance. That was according to Deputy Legal Director of the ACLU. Now, Sanders sent his letter to the NSA asking if he was watching Congress on the 3rd. Still has not yet received a response. So all these kind of balls are in the air. And while all of this is happening, a lot of pressure on the NSA, some prominent newspapers called for pardons on Snowden. Two major newspapers around the world began the new year by taking a stand for Edward Snowden. First, the Guardian's editorial board on Wednesday made a case for a pardon of Edward Snowden, arguing, Mr. Snowden, through journalists and the absence of meaningful, reliable democratic oversight, had given people enough knowledge about the nature of modern intelligence gathering to allow an informed debate. On the other side of the Atlantic, on the same day, the New York Times also praised Snowden, calling him a whistleblower and saying, when someone reveals that government officials have routinely and deliberately broken the law, That person should not face life in prison at the hands of the same government. President Obama should tell his aides to begin finding a way to end Mr. Snowden's vilification and give him an incentive to return home. The New York Times went on to bullet point several of the NSA violations as revealed by Snowden, including the hacking of data links at Google and Yahoo, the efforts to undermine encryption, and proof that the Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper, lied to Congress last March when he said the NSA was not collecting data on Americans. That's my favorite one, of course. That's the one I still go back to because that's that's an atrocity that we still haven't rectified, and apparently we're just cool with it. We're just going to let that one slide. And it seems like even for show, they would do something about that, even if it was like, well, uh, discharge him or something. Even if it's not some big th- deal, it seems like he's he's definitely, you know, he was caught red-handed. You'd think they'd want to save face on that. Uh, but uh, so there you go. Now, I do have to say a uh, bit of a, a, a bit of a of a reflection on our holiday break. I mean, what 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 could I do? The Unfilter show literally fell on Christmas and New Year's Day. Uh, but uh, looking back, those few weeks, which I expected to be completely, completely dead, were some huge NSA stories that came out. In fact, some of our supporter only shows we did were uh, all just really about the NSA. And so uh, I would really I would really encourage, if you're an Unfiltered supporter, to go grab that BitTorrent sync key that we put out in the newsletter after every episode because I'm going to keep the Unfiltered supporter shows in there for probably about one more week because they take up a lot of space because they were big shows. And uh, then I'm going to pull them out. So if you would grab that BitTorrent sync, you can get them now and listen to them and kind of fill back in there. And if you're not a supporter yet, you still have time to become one. 
and then get access to that BitTorrent sync to grab those shows. Uh, we kept on, there's, I think right now there's three in total in there that were only supporters only showed lots of good developments that happened that we've covered. Well, good depending for the show, but not necessarily good for all of us. Uh, and speaking of our supporters, wow, we are at 314 supporters, almost to 333. And I want to say a special thank you to Kyle T, Marcus Z, David, Matt B, uh, Emil, Emil, how do you say your name, man? Emil J, Matthew L, Russell W, Philip P, Duncan D, Brian W, Chad, Paul H, James T, Aaron C, Jeff J, Brian H, Susan R, and Thomas P, bringing us to 314 Unfiltered Supporters. What is an Unfiltered Supporter? Well, if you go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click on any recent episode of the Unfiltered Show, in the show notes we have a subscribe button. When you click that, it gives a $5 contribution to the Unfiltered Show every single month. Now, what you get for that is not only the continued production of the main show, we're trying to reach 333 subscribers, that's what's going to pay the run costs of the show, and it's it's one of these things that, it, it's a whole multifaceted thing. It's, it's about paying for my time, it's about paying for the production time, it's paying for the bandwidth, and it's also paying for the opportunity cost of not doing a tech show in this slot, but this is a show I really believe in, it's one of my passion projects, and I think the information we cover is super useful and and I am really thankful that in, in 10, 20 years from now, however long in the future, I will look back and I'll have a catalog of what the hell was going on during all of this. This show on a weekly basis chronicles what's been happening. And it is going to be a digest of really breaking down and being a roadmap of what the hell happened. Plus, when you're a supporter, not just keeping us on the air, there's some perks too. You get the pre and post show, which we call the supporter show, has extra clips, often gives you additional context about this show. Uh, we had some really good stuff in the supporter show. You also get the BitTorrent sync share. You get all of the source files for our show. Every clip we play, notes, artwork, assets, all of that stuff. You get all of it. Gigs and gigs and gigs worth. And there's also a separate sync of just the supporter show, which is great for mobile. Or if you have limited space on your desktop, BitTorrent Sync on mobile is sweet because you just add, you add it, you install it as an app, you can pull down a single file. We also have typical MP3 uh, downloads available and an RSS feed. And every episode, I send out an Unfiltered Supporters newsletter after that show. I give you additional behind-the-scenes information about this episode, links to follow up on, and other information like that. It's it's a resource to kind of be your guide to that week's episode, plus the any additional content that was covered in the Supporters show and things like that. Not only that, but when there's a holiday week that comes up, we still do a Supporters show. I mean, you guys are paying us to do an episode every single week, so we show up every single week. Even, even when the main show isn't on the air, there's a supporter show for you and a lot of times it's it's as great as a regular show if not better there's uh, a lot to look forward to in 2014 a lot to cover in 2014 and as jupiter broadcasting starts to make some major changes good news for us and maybe a little bit of scary news uh the folks that rent the space that will be converting into the jupiter broadcasting world hq studios they've uh, moved the timetable up. They found a place earlier. We gave them plenty of time so that way they could find a nice place and move out. They found a place earlier than we expected. So we're going to get the house about a month earlier than we were planning to, uh, which is good in some sense because that means we can start work on converting it to a studio sooner and you know take care of any repairs we needed to do. Uh, but it's also, it's a little scary for me. It's a huge adjustment. It's a huge move into, well, another mortgage, a whole other set of uh, utilities and and all of the build-out that's going to be required. And I would really appreciate your support and help us keep the show on the air, especially as our costs rise for the network. We're really going to be pressed to make sure that we're getting all of the possible revenue we can because these are major commitments we're going to be making. And if you'd like to help us stay on there, we're trying to reach a base goal of 333. And to be honest, 
And if I had a dream, that number would continue to climb. And if we got it high enough, we'd do more shows a week. I could pay Chase some decent money since he's been unemployed now for a while. All of these things we're trying to get to after we get to 333. But right now we're at 314, and you can help us close that gap by going over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, clicking on the latest episode of the Unfilter Show, and then pop that $5 a month button. Then you get the newsletter, then you get the supporter show, and you get the good, warm fuzzies of keeping us on the air. So thank you to 314 Unfilter supporters. You guys are the small team that keeps the show on the air for tens of thousands of people which is awesome. Now, as we move forward, the big story as while this show is off the air, because it's something, there's a few stories we've been covering since the day they happened. Cannabis legalization. While I know not all of you love the topic, many of you do have an interest in the topic, and it's one of the things that we have literally been tracking since the moment it happened. The night that cannabis legalization was passed, the Unfilter show was live on the air streaming that election night, and we were there when the results came in. So this is literally a story we have been following since its inception. And when the clock struck midnight, January 1st, the doors in Colorado opened up and marijuana shops were selling pot. This month, Uruguay became the first country in the world to legalize marijuana. But it was two American states that led the way a year ago when voters of Colorado and Washington state forced the legalization of cannabis for recreational use. So, how do you take an illegal drug and turn it into a new legal tax-generating industry? This is a great question, and I have a suggestion. Well, while we might not know, we'll get to the tax part later. The media industry is already jumping on it for a revenue opportunity. Hi, I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks for watching us tonight. Is America going to pot? That is the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo. As you may know, I believe the increasing acceptance of marijuana among American young people is a bad thing for the country. And now even some liberal media people are agreeing with me. Tina Brown, former editor of Newsweek, tweeted, quote, legal weed contributes to us being a fatter, dumber, sleepier nation, even less able to compete with the Chinese, unquote. I like that because uh, I personally think we're already headed down that path. And uh, I also like the Bill Frozen, the Chinese. And this has been a reoccurring theme if you watch Bill O'Reilly is he's definitely noticing the Chinese are there a lot more and just kind of slips them in a little bit. Uh, And Bill wasn't the only one. I'm not picking on Bill. You've also got Nancy Grace out there making a fool of herself. Do you think legalizing pot for, for recreational use, do you think that's a good idea? I think it's a horrible idea. And I speak not only after studying it and reading every shred of scientific and research data out there, but after seeing what it does to people on an everyday level. How do you mean? Having in, in court, when I would prosecute drug cases. Now, I understand that a recreational amount in Colorado, remember, there are only two states that allow recreational sale or possession of marijuana, that being Colorado and Washington State, and in Washington State it has not been implemented yet. But what I would see is that people would drop out of work, (laughs) they would become lethargic. I mean, come on, ask yourself, do you want your cab driver to be high on pot. But I think, how about sure. your, your, I, I how think about that's your plane, one issue. Your airplane pilot. I think what about that's one that? Issue. I like that. So Nancy Gray, supposedly is somewhat familiar with the law, completely forgets the fact that there are still laws in place to prevent these people from doing these things and not to mention just workplace policies, right? Like an employer is still completely free to say, hey, sucker, you can't smoke pot and work here and we're going to test your ass. Every shred. 
Every shred. (laughs) Every shred of scientific data. (laughs) I love that That, quote, too. That I find hard to believe. But on the other side, I, I in some ways agree with what she's saying. Can you prove with a hundred percent, without a hundred percent doubt, that someone on pot won't affect the rest of the nation? No. Or, oh no, she's seen community? every shred. Well, you know what uh, I think is uh, worse than uh, pot. I actually think um, the antidepressants I was on should be illegal. <laughs> well, so that's an interesting point. I mean, you, uh, oh boy, this is getting into some bad territory, but there's been some atrocities that I think have happened semi-recently because of potentially prescription pills. So I think you could flip Chris's question around. Uh, so here would be my answer, Chris, is uh, if, if you want to be responsible and you want to keep your job and you're an airplane pilot or you're a doctor or you're some other profession that does drug screening – I guess not actually drug screen doctors, but if it was some other profession like a blue collar job where they check the slaves to see if they've been taking drugs, then it is your personal responsibility not to take the drugs, right? Just like if they were checking to see if you drank beer and you didn't, you know, you failed that test, then you should also be fired. It's up to the employer. And that seems to me like the perfect capitalist ideal. I, I don't disagree with you there. It is up, up to the, the uh, employer, but what I'm saying is, in more general sense, outside of work, is I guess like where does it end? Like that's legal now. What right. else is going to become? Well, legal? I think so, so. I I do follow your 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 line of thinking there, but I would I would suggest to you that there that the mistake might be in the premise, in that the premise is that one in three people aren't smoking it right now. And I believe if we're being realistic, th- that is the reality, is that it is, it is so much larger than people realize that it, it is, it's not that we are creating a new industry or allowing people to smoke. It is that we are just now making legal structures around something that millions of people already do. I think it's already happening, right? I don't think it's so – so, so the question would be is – is there is there perhaps some sort of uh, impairment that could happen? Yes, but that's already happening. Right, and I don't disagree with that. It's yeah. already happening, but we, once you legalize it and allow it to be sold, it happens more often. Well, okay, so let's let, that's a great point. So there, there has this uh, gateway marijuana has a gateway drug connotation to it. Let's explore that. Um, with God's grace. I'm 18 and a half years clean and sober. I still this day go to a lot of 12-step meetings. Here's one of my issues with this whole story. I hear, Patrick, young people coming into the rooms who say they started on grass, harmless enough, and then go on because it's a gateway drug. Any counselor will tell you it's a gateway drug, and they do harder stuff, cocaine, heroin, or whatever. Some people can control that. Some people can control alcohol, Patrick. I'm not one of them, and I hope these young kids getting high on marijuana now understand that. So I think this – so it is a gateway drug, but only because the way it works right now is you have to buy it from a drug dealer. And that drug dealer doesn't just deal marijuana. He deals every other drug and says, hey, man, you like that? You ought to try this. And because you force people into these illegal channels, the the channels offer other product, right? Whereas when you go into a marijuana store, the only thing they're selling is marijuana. And you're not working with somebody who's like, hey, man, you like that high. Well, if that high made you a little sleepy – here's a little coke this is going to wake you up or man you really want to feel good here's a little heroin 
that doesn't happen in a pot shop, right? They only sell, they're going to sell you a brownie, they're going to sell you a soda, and they're going to sell you a bag of weed, and you're going to get out of there. And so I think the gateway drug connotation literally is a result of the drug war. The drug war created an illegal market. This illegal market supplies multiple types of drugs. People that want to buy weed have to go to the illegal market. Therefore, they get down, push down this channel. What do you guys think? Well, there's another aspect to that, which is that nobody goes out and decides the first drug they're going to try is heroin. So if you look at it realistically, a much better gateway drug or a much better candidate for being a gateway drug is alcohol or cigarettes, right? It's just weed is cheap and easily available. That's what Rob Ford would have you believe. Yeah. Rob Ford would tell you that alcohol is the gateway drug and that uh, remember how he blamed like, oh, I got drunk and got crazy. (laughs) But it is, right? I got drunk when I was 13. That that was the beginning of my life trying, you know, drugs. Right. Yeah. No, it is. It is. And it's in the house, right? And it makes it accessible too. One of the reasons I think many people try marijuana is that there's the curiosity in uh, high school where you want to explore, you want to, you know, defy your parents a bit. So you go out and you try some cigarettes, try some beer, try some marijuana. It's easy to find. And then if you pin you down that road, that's where it becomes a gateway. If you remove the the um if you 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 let you talk to their parents about if it's open it doesn't become such an issue right yeah and i think too it's kind of it's one of these things where uh it is going to depend entirely on the person just like all things like sugar right like too much soda can uh too much anything it'll depend a little bit on the person and i would argue that the stats would seem to indicate that uh, even even though we have – so right now the argument is for legalization. But if you look at the old argument saying, well, if you legalize, it makes it more accessible to children, makes it more accessible to people. The problem is – and Bill O'Reilly will be the first one to point this out – 23% of senior well, – well, I'll just let him tell you. And the latest study by that organization says that nearly 23% of seniors in American high schools right now admit to smoking marijuana recently. That's an incredible stat. So we – uh, we want to keep drugs. We want to keep cannabis illegal to protect the children. Yet you look at these stats; they show that kids clearly already have access, and they're not getting it from their parents. Well, maybe in some cases they are, but they're getting it probably from drug dealers. That well, to me add, seems really scary. Can I add one thing to that, right quick? Which is that when I was in high school, and maybe this is just me, um, uh, there were times, and a lot of times that. Getting alcohol meant I had to find somebody not in my my group. I had to find someone right. older to buy it. Sure. Pot, on the other hand, I could just ask around school or one of my friends know somebody, yeah. <laughs> and it was actually easier to get pot than yeah, yeah. booze sometimes. No, when I was going to school, uh, you had to work to get the booze, and you could end up smoking pot if you just got in the right car with somebody when you were going to the bowling alley. Oh, yeah, we're smoking pot on the way to the bowling alley. Like, yeah, it was definitely uh, where I grew up, much more uh, prolific. And I think... You know, you have to look at so you have the argument of kids already have access to marijuana uh, and anybody else really could that wants it. The 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 flip side of this is there is a quantifiable tragic. I would label it as tragic cost to the drug war. I know you're an advocate of legalization. What is your reaction to some of the things that we are saying? Well, first of all, I'd like to applaud you guys on your sobriety. Uh, I would also say that there is the vast majority of marijuana users are responsible uh, users and just as there is with alcohol there is uh, you know many people who use it very responsibly so 
that's the one side. Also, the prohibition of marijuana hasn't worked. People's homes are being raided. People's, uh, people are being killed in no-knock raids. People's dogs are being shot. They're being separated from their families. They can't get jobs. Uh, they have trouble adopting children. There's all of these uh, ancillary things that come with this drug war that are far more harmful than any usage of marijuana. And that's happening in states all around the country. So while we applaud Colorado for coming up with a reasonable program where they are taxing and regulating marijuana sales, making it tougher for children to get marijuana and making that money, which used to go God knows where, now uh, pay taxes into education and other types of well, I uh, hope, things. I hope that's right. Yeah, me too. Uh, and this is, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm a parent, right? And uh, I think a lot about the fact that as they go out into the world, Washington State will be um, one of the states that I think, what is it, by summertime, we're going to have the shops. In fact, uh, this is in the supporter show. I talked about the fact that Colorado's kind of been poking fun at Washington State because we delayed opening our doors. Recreational pot use is legal in Washington. However, we don't actually have a legal way to buy it in Washington, which is the part that Colorado just solved. Um, Colorado's had legal recreational weed for about a year now, too. So, so here, here's another issue. I think I'm not saying allowing kids by any means to smoke pot is a good thing. What I'm about to say is I'm looking at the bigger picture. Is like if you legalize pot. And then down the road, and let's say it works out, okay? It's fine. In, in 10 years, the pot users are going to want some stronger drug that's not quite as strong as cocaine or heroin or any of those legalized. So that gets legalized. Where does it end? It ends where Ron Paul wants it to end, where everything's legal. As soon as it becomes harmful, obviously it will end, right? Because mar uh, marijuana, cannabis, is not really harmful if used responsibly. I think well, it those other drugs on are. how you define harmful. Well, I think so, for example, um, historically, and this is almost seems this almost sounds like one of those things that people say that's unbelievable, but look it up. Uh, there is no history of someone dying of an overdose of cannabis use. So from a safety standpoint, cannabis has a superior track record than alcohol or many other things, caffeine even, right? In fact, there's been some studies that would suggest that cannabis use is actually healthier for the body than, than caffeine use if you are an adult, if you're not a child. Uh, so I don't know. I'm not, I'm not arguing that point specifically, but I don't know if it's the same thing. I think if you could jump in a time machine and go back in time, we probably should have outlawed alcohol and never outlawed cannabis use, right? So I think we, we nicotine, cigarettes, and alcohol were legalized, and the safer of the two and the less detrimental to the body, especially if you're using a vaporizer or an edible, uh, was was banned. And so I don't actually know if it's so much of expanding the gate and yet allowing another one of our sins in. I think it's more of correcting an original wrong, correcting something that was a mistake to begin with based on propaganda, I think. is, And I could be wrong on that, but that's my gut at this point. I agree. And honestly, to me, it, it still sounds wrong to say, well, this thing might be wrong in the future. So let's keep this thing that we have no real reason to outlaw and keep it illegal just in case. It well, doesn't sound like how you should do things. Right. And I wonder, too, like if it le if it gets legalized, are we now going to have a legal hemp uh, market? Because hemp is an amazing product. So, I mean, that would be a, that would be a huge benefit right there. Everything has to just be done in moderation. Here's a question I have for the room. 
What is the difference between being addicted to marijuana or addicted to cocaine? Go ahead. Wilma. Addiction is just addiction. There's no real distinction between addiction. Yeah, it's sorry. Go ahead, guys. No, Wolf. Go ahead. And I'll admit right now that I'm addicted to a video game, so I understand what addiction is. Yeah, yeah. My psychological, not a biological addiction. Right. But, but you're saying is a harmful addiction. Right. Is exactly. Always harmful, so, no matter what type of addiction, you can also be addicted to something that helps you get addicted Physically, quicker, even. Yeah, I can see your point there. I mean, uh, but I think there's so many things in life. I mean, like, uh, I know people that are addicted to Facebook, and that sounds weird, but I swear to God, it's a thing. And uh, I think, again, that is a psychological addiction. I think cannabis, <laughs> ca- cannabis is a psychological addiction. In fact, uh, the addiction information, so uh, uh, the addiction stats on, on, on cannabis usage are a really hard thing to parse because what happens is in mediation of legal situations where you get pulled in, you get caught with cannabis use, your options are spend time or go through rehab and be labeled as a cannabis addict. So a lot of people, because, I mean, let's face it, you're going to spend time in jail or you're going to go to some rehab classes. I would choose the rehab classes. So then I get labeled in the books on the record as a cannabis addict, even if maybe I smoked a joint and then went to the bar, right? So it's really hard to actually get um, current legitimate numbers on cannabis addiction. But looking at the science of it, 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 it would appear that cannabis itself is not overly addictive. And I, I'll use myself. This is our, our arbitrary. This is anecdotal. But, you know, I have been a regular cannabis, cannabis smoker for five years. Um, and I, there are times when life is busy or funds are short and I'll go a day or a month without smoking. And I have never, ever experienced a side effect and that could be after three years of consecutively vaporizing cannabis four to five times a day and then i will all of a sudden be like you know what can't afford it got to cut back or you know i'm traveling whatever it is zero side effects and i don't know of anything else out there that's like that and and for me that's me that doesn't mean somebody else wouldn't have wouldn't be ravaged with addictions but somebody else could be ravaged with a wow addiction right like I said, like, how, how do you judge addiction? I mean, to me, that sounds like you're addicted. When I was addicted to World of Warcraft, which you just mentioned, I would play 15, 16 hours a day and not believe that I was addicted. Yeah, I think, right. you know, it so depends on... a matter on... of degree, I mean, whether you smoke it one time every week or six or one time every hour, it's a matter of looking at the bigger picture. Right, I think too. I mean, I see. Go ahead. I was just going to say the difference is like you you can't psychological addictions are so personal you can't mandate you know to try to avoid them. Yeah, because you might be addicted to WoW, I won't be. Right. So there's no point in trying to stop me from playing. If WoW is an escape for you, right, that's the part of addiction. You need that. You need that escape, that relief from reality. For me, the cannabis use was to manage severe stomach problems that I was having that was resulting in like bloody situations that were really scary. And so for me, it wasn't so much about, oh my God, I'm so stressed out, I need to smoke. It was, oh man, I'm pooping blood again today. I better do something to to fix that. So I think part of it might be the motivation in which you were using the 
whatever that substance is, video games or alcohol or weed, right? If it's to escape, to relieve stress, I could definitely see how that psychological thing could become addictive. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily know that just because cannabis is one more thing that should make it illegal. Because if you apply that logic, you could really go crazy with all kinds of things we use today. That I mean, smartphones, right? I mean, like how many people stand in line and can't bear to be uh, by themselves for more than thirty seconds, so they have to look at their phone. That to me almost seems like an addiction. Internet addiction. Right. Well, escape yeah. from stress can also be a very healthy part of life as well. True. True. I don't. You know, it's a good point. It's a, it's a good coping it mechanism needed. for some folks. Yeah. NSA has information addiction. <laughs> um, I, I I would say that it's all about the person, Chris. If you know you are likely to be, uh, you know, addicted to this, that, or the other, then you avoid it. It's it's you know, it can be used very responsibly. And there will be cases where people go overboard. They stop going to work because they would rather sit at home, watch funny videos, and be you know high all day. Right. It's probably going to happen. It probably happens. It does happen already, uh, supposedly according to the media. Yeah, <laughs> fairly yeah, often. Yeah. And and it's all about the person. Just because this happens occasionally does not mean everyone will immediately have this issue. Right. right? Just like not everyone that smokes it is all of a sudden loses all motivation. I mean, I work, you know, a shit ton of hours a day and I'm one of the hardest working people I know not to that's a humble brag, but it's legitimately true. Uh and I I if I felt like um it was a problem, then I would stop and I, you know, would not really feel like there was some sort of huge hurdle I'd have to overcome for that. It would just be, oh, well, you know what? This is whatever whatever reason I need to stop. Just like, you know, I have with video games in the past. It's all about being able to responsibly manage it. Uh, however, I, I would prefer to have somebody have that... I mean, I'm, I'm just being completely frank with you guys. I would prefer to have somebody have that crutch be cannabis than alcohol. Really. I think it'd be healthier for their body. And I think, I think it would... You you don't hear about somebody smoking up a whole a, a bowl and then going and beating somebody, right? That doesn't happen. So there's that aspect to it. Although I don't mean to disparage anybody who enjoys himself. I'm having myself a uh, a whiskey on the rocks right now, but I'm just saying Yum. if I had to if I had to make my if I had to make my choice, I would I would think that perhaps to to back to your core point, Chris, is that what we what we are seeing now is a correction to something that scientifically really didn't make a lot of sense and. uh and I don't know if this is because of the internet, but y- you guys, th- this seems like this whole thing has picked up so much speed in the last four or five years. Uh, because if you look back, w- people have been saying since, I don't know, the 70s that, oh, cannabis legalization, that must just be like a year or two away. If it's, if it's longer than a couple of more years, something's really wrong. And that's been repeated over and over again, because as people learn, it seems so obvious to them. But that information never spreads. The propaganda continues. But with the internet and, and, and outlets like Reddit and outlets like Unfilter and outlets like, like all of the forums online, all of the discussion places online, People collectively share their experiences and realize that the the story that they've been fed perhaps isn't true. And I think per- maybe there's a possibility it sort of moved the whole herd mentality forward on this topic. And one thing that speaks, even if you know, even if you have concerns about the addiction aspect of it, one thing that truly speaks to people is the money aspect. I know you're an advocate of legal. Not that one. Not that one. I said the money aspect of it. Which one was this one? This is the Hong Kong sour diesel. At the Grove in Denver, it's hardly business as usual. This marijuana dispensary has gone from serving 25 to 50 customers a day selling medical marijuana to about 400 people daily. 
now that recreational pot is legal. We definitely did get in at the right time. We're able to, to get on the bandwagon with the recreational. Erin Phillips and her husband own the Grove, along with seven other dispensaries around the Denver area, under their parent company, Strainwise. Before this, they were in the real estate business. When they opened their doors on January 1st, the first day pot was legal here for those 21 and older, they were swamped by customers. It was very, very busy. We had uh, people lining up before the doors opened. Um, throughout the day, we pretty much had about a three to three and a half hour wait. Um, we had people coming in the door just stunned. They were all like kids in a candy store. <laughs> Which is exactly why investment groups are sinking money into Colorado. Oops, I was just going to say, uh, this part of the story was interesting to me when they actually started talking about people spending money. Arcview Investments has dropped $3 million nationwide on cannabis companies. A million of that right here in Colorado. Oh, yeah. Arcview CEO believes cannabis is the next great American industry and is predicting 64% growth in the next year. Aaron's husband, Sean Phillips, says dispensaries here sure can use investor money. Most of the retailers probably spent between fifty dollars and $200,000 to get their, their shops up and going. Um, a large grow could be anywhere from $400,000 to, to a couple million, depending upon what they put in it. Now, one of the reasons that they're setting their prices higher here is so that they don't run out of supply. But this is a learning process, and the owners know they have to see how it goes, but they do expect prices to come down. You know, I think that uh, this could be a very big year for us and the, and the company as a whole. Um, I can't give you specific numbers, but uh, I think that uh, we will do probably two or three times what we did last year based on the numbers that we've seen so far this year. The National Cannabis Industry Association is projecting recreational marijuana sales will exceed $200 million in Colorado this year, handing the state $67 million in tax revenue. Ooh, that's that. That's not chump change. Uh, so 37 dispensaries around the state reported uh, so far in their first week um, some serious sales. Now, not Brian, I know you're, you're in the area. Do you have any experiences on the ground? Have you seen the lines? Have you seen the craziness? Um, yeah, we were in Denver on the 5th, even, I think, and there was a, still a line out the door. It was crazy. <laughs> well, you know, uh, pot shops are reporting they made more than a million dollars on the first day. All right, day two for retail pot shops, and already shop owners across the state believe they collectively made more than a million dollars statewide. News reporter Noel Brennan reports from inside a shop in Denver, one that's well into another very busy day. And it's still a little too early to tell how much money was made yesterday throughout the state of Colorado, but pot shops say they raked in more than $1 million yesterday alone. As far as the rest of the year goes, the state estimates pot shops could make almost $600 million. Taxes alone could bring in $67 million in revenue. A good chunk of that will go toward building schools. And one thing's for sure, the green is flying off the shelves across the state. 3D in Denver had four hundred people come through their doors yesterday. They had to turn people away by closing time. And we spoke to one couple who drove all the way from Sioux City, Iowa on New Year's Eve, and they came to 3D for a second day in a row. 
Well, let's get there early and not wait in the line so uh, we can finish enjoying the rest of Colorado. And, and get with our family. <laughs> the lines here at 3D Cannabis Center, not nearly as long as they were yesterday morning where they snaked around the building. This morning we only saw a handful of people before opening time. We'll just have to wait and see how long this green rush in Denver will last. In Denver, Noel Brennan, 9 News. This whole thing is fascinating to me because we're about to watch the same thing happen here in Washington, I would assume. I, I don't know yet. It's hard to say. Uh, so that was uh, two days into uh, uh, cannabis legalization or cannabis recreational store sales in Colorado might be the right way to say that. Uh, so here we are. This is a few more days into it. And now the total figure for the shops is $5 million dollars. For the first week of sales, and they've, uh, uh, by the way, prices have been boosted. So these are more expensive than if you were going to buy on the street because there's a 25 percent tax on retail purchase, including a 15 percent excise tax and a 10 percent sales tax, which was all approved by voters in last November. Uh, so, and there's some local taxes even for the city that make the prices vary. So the cities themselves are making a little bit of money on this, but even still, prices they say are uh, sales they say are. Sky high. Sky high. That's how owners of retail pot shops say sales have been six days after they began legally selling marijuana for recreational use. Seven News reporter Russell Haythorne discovering some shops are still limiting the amount you can buy in Russell. They say even that might not be enough to keep supplies in stock. Right, and here we are six days into retail marijuana sales. And as you can see, as you can tell by the line here at this pot shop on South Broadway, demand is still very high. So high, in fact, that some of these pot shop owners are telling us that it's a very real possibility they could sell out in the short term. There are few complaints here. I expected to have... Um, some business, but I didn't expect it to be that big. But because of that, Lodo Wellness Center owner Linda Andrews says there are new complications. We are still limiting our purchases. Customers can only buy an eighth of an ounce here. A lot of people are interested in pre-rolls. Even though state law allows you to purchase a full ounce, Andrews says it's necessary so they don't sell out. If we were not imposing limits, that could definitely happen. In fact, the edibles cooler was empty when we arrived. Then, as we were shooting, the supplier, Elixirs and Edibles, brought the last of their stock. This is the last of their, in their whole factory, everything they have, so you got to make it last. From chocolate truffles to marijuana-infused soda, they must also limit customers to one of each type of edible. We have to be working on expansion. Andrews shows us the grow operation, and while it looks well-stocked, she says supplies are already falling behind demand especially with so-called smoke birds coming from all over the country, like these two from Boston. We're sleeping out of the car. And uh, we figure, well, this is something we've never experienced, so let's do it. Andrew says all the cash coming in is also an issue, albeit a good problem to have. It would be nice if the banks would work with us. We're figuring out some systems. We've got safes. We don't keep it here. You'll recall the reason why banks won't work with retail or medical marijuana shops is because the federal government still considers marijuana a controlled substance and banks are regulated by the FDIC. Even though some pot shops are accepting credit cards, we've learned today they are doing so at their own risk. Live in Denver, Russell Haythorn, 7 News.
Yeah, so this is the money thing is actually a bit of a problem. Uh, so the way it works is uh, federal prohibition means that banks won't accept marijuana business for transactions. So if you go to them as a business and say, I want to open a bank account, they'll say, no, thank you. Uh, and, you know, understandably, right? Because banks are managers of risk. That's that's exactly. Uh, and, of course, people are upset. In fact, uh, there was an article uh, in, let's see, where, 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 oh, the Salon. Salon.com wrote an article that said, uh, it's an absurd on every single la- level. They said financial institutions don't want to run afoul of the Anti-Money Laundering Act, which charges fines up to $500,000 per transaction. So the banks, of course, don't want to run that kind of risk. Uh, but, of course, now uh, these guys are flush with cash, and they really don't have a lot to do with it. And there is a bit of an irony here. Let's not forget that HSBC was recently fined $1.9 billion for actual money laundering for drug cartels suspected of killing thousands of innocent civilians. So let's just keep that in mind. that HSBC had no problem doing very profitable business with illegal drug trade. But, you know, when they know about it, like when they have a label, well, then we can't do it. Oh, wait, they do drug dealing? Oh, my God. Bitcoin. This seems like an opportunity for Bitcoin. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. <laughs> or yeah. Doge, right? <laughs> Spend some of those Doge coins. Can, uh, can, I, I, can I say something yeah, again? Yeah. I'm sorry that I have such a opinion on this. But no, it's fine. If we compare the society of today to the society of, the, of when the framers of the Constitution were alive, as society moves away from that religious point of view to science, this kind of stuff happens. True. And I mean, I can see I what you're saying. That, that as science, you know, finds more and more information, that they may realize, oh, why not do the next step? But isn't it possible? Isn't it possible? So as you move away from God and a society that believes in God, you become a society more of chaos. But look at if you look at the the human impact of the drug war from that standpoint, that something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. There are so many people whose lives. Once you have that felony on your record, your life changes forever. I mean, it really changes your life in, in, in horrible ways. You, you can't adopt a child. There's all kinds of things just because you have that drug felony on your record. And also, I would point out before – well, let me finish this last point – is at the time that they were framing – you know, the original founding fathers were framing the Constitution – they actually were accepting hemp as a form of tax payment. It was considered a currency in the United States of America. It wasn't until the 70s that it really became completely locked down illegal. Well, that's not totally true. It was much earlier than that. But uh, hemp was actually a form of legal tender back then. I mean, so we have – it wasn't always illegal in the United States of America back then. It, it's it's more of a recent thing. I mean, all of us have grown up with it as illegal. It's It's been normal for us forever. But it was not until the 20s that the, the, the initiative really kicked off with the Mexican racism and the, and the, and the jazz and all of that kind of stuff where they, where they, where they blamed it on, on, on reefer madness and things like that. But for a, for a period of time, hemp was actually a crop of the United States of America. I, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't heard that before, so I, I'm not going to take you on your word. Oh, that's fine. I'll go study that. That's I don't fine. disagree with you, but I'm not 100% certain. So one of the but, things but that... The, 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 I, I think the point I'm trying to make is that it, as society moves 
away from the lit religious society of the framing of the forefathers or the founding fathers. It's going to be more liberal, if you will, and accepting of, of drugs. And when you move away from a society that believes in God to that, and when I say that, what I'm trying to say is that as a society of order, you're going to end up having a society of chaos. Chris, can I respond to that? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, um, oh, sorry, Chris is, I suppose. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, I, I can't speak for your, your, uh, your religious views there, but my understanding is that the Bible says that you know, alcohol is fine with moderation. Why can't you not take that view on this subject as well? So long as you are not you know, going overboard, so long as you're being responsible, how can this be a bad thing? How is this causing chaos? I just don't see that. But in the same sense, the Bible doesn't say anything about cocaine or heroin or any of those other drugs. Why not use those in moderation? Right, because they are you're, really you're, dangerous. That argument is kind of a fallacy. But you also got to treat your body as a temple. So if you treat your body as a temple, I mean, you're good. So like the drugs like as in cocaine, meth, and other kind of harmful drugs would be damaging to your body, which means that you are essentially going a sense what the word of the Bible says, but let's get off of religion. This is kind of like one of those topics that are really not meant for this type of conversation. So to, to kind of pick up from where Chris was touching on, uh, one of the things that is absolutely unquestionably happening as a result of Colorado and Washington legalizing cannabis is other people, not just in, in United States of America, but Uruguay and all, all around the world are talking a little more seriously. And one of the next places that's, going to start loosening the cannabis uh, constraints, if you will, is New York. New York is poised to become the latest state to loosen restrictions on marijuana usage. Governor Andrew Cuomo will reportedly announce a plan this week to use his executive power to allow 20 hospitals across the state to prescribe marijuana to certain patients. The governor's surprise reversal on medical marijuana is part of a nationwide shift in drug laws. Yeah, boy, it sure is. It's happening all over the place. I mean, there's definitely a nationwide change that's happening here. And I think it's going to leave a lot of people uh, uncomfortable, and there's a lot of questions to be answered. Uh, and I wanted to sort of wrap up this week's episode because we're running a little long here, but I wanted to wrap up this. Uh, there's a lot of things that have been said since the Unfiltered show was on the air about cannabis legalization. And uh, John Stewart had some fun with some of the things. Uh, you know, the media is a little bit hi hypocritical uh, when it comes to their treatment of cannabis versus their treatment of alcohol. But there's another reason why America should reconsider this liberalization of pot law. Pot just makes you dumb. It just makes you dumb! <laughs> It just does, in the same way that Santa Claus just is white. <laughs> Unassailable truth. And that's not all that pot does. Most people that do smoke pot, I watch their ambition being curtailed steadily, and they never reach their potential. I know on pot because I believe it is addictive and it leads to more serious drugs. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Uh, nothing. No. No. That is just too tasty. Hit me again. What's uh, to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Uh, uh, nothing. Sample that audio, Beyonce. That is... Okay, there's no question that pot, like everything else, can have its downside. But you know, a recent UC San Diego study found that 
alcohol appears to harm the teenage brain even more than, and I'm using clinical terminology here, getting potted up on weed. <laughs> so your argument against marijuana, it would carry a lot more weight if these same individuals had a similar perspective on America's alcohol usage and go. It's Wine's Day Wednesday, it is. best day of the week. Great job getting yes. us drunk. We could all use a stiff drink. Fantastic margarita day. If you're not going to drink it, pass it around. I haven't had a beer in ever. Would you Are like you a beer? Yeah, How are you spending uh, New Year's Eve? I'm going to get real drunk. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get real drunk. I just hope I don't see any of them loser potheads while I'm getting all f***ed up, because... <laughs> That would kill my totally socially acceptable alcohol buzz. <laughs> so we clearly know that marijuana is a deadly gateway drug from which no sane person can ever hope to escape. But our view of alcohol is not even benign indifference, but celebratory. Where marijuana always leads you to a dark path, how do we view the effect of beer? Light. Holy <laughs> beer is magic. <laughs> it turns an overcrowded, sweltering cityscape into a beach party where skateboards become surfboards and business suits become bikinis. But rest assured, our children will never be exposed to this potentially overstated fantasy world that glorifies alcoholic consumption unless, unless they watch TV. <laughs> it's not just a good time. It's Miller time. Cross brewed Coors Light, the world's most refreshing beer. Nicolas Altres, the superior light beer. Bud Light, here we go. That's one afternoon of watching football. It gives me cirrhosis of the eyeballs. <laughs> I can't sit down with my kid for a pleasant afternoon watching grown men give each other concussions without being bombarded by the Harry Potter-esque transformative power of fermented hops. Not that they aren't looking out for the kids. Please drink responsibly. What? I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you over the snowing bikini party. Maybe if pot had as many commercials as beer, we wouldn't let it worry us so much. Honestly, it wouldn't even be that hard. You could use the same commercials. Most of them barely even need to be changed. You know that Dos Equis guy? He is the most interesting man in the world. Actually, he's just an actor. But... You get high, he will become the most interesting man in the world. That's the beauty of marijuana. And, if I may say so, at the same time, your couch will become the most interesting couch. Most beer commercials could easily be retrofitted. Bud. Smoke. Bud. That actually even, that even makes more sense, because... You might buy beer if a frog tells you to, but only weed really makes you believe the frog. <laughs> we'll be right back. There you go. I thought that was a pretty good end of the conversation. Look, uh, the Unfilter Show is live on a Wednesday over at jblive.tv, 6 p.m., Pacific is when we start. You can get that converted to your local time zone if you go over to jblive.tv and uh, click on the calendar link at the top of the page. That'll take you over there. And uh, you can also su subscribe to that RSS feed for the calendar. If you use a Google calendar or something that supports the iCal standard, you can add that to your calendar, and then it'll automatically be in your time zone. Or if you visit the jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar page, 
It'll also automatically be in your time zone, which is very convenient. We'd love to have you join us live. Every now and then, we're going to do the mumble thing more and more. Uh, you can join us over jblive.tv and uh, do bang mumble in the chat room. And if you're here live, you also get to help us name this episode, which is pretty cool. And we'd love to hear your feedback. What do you think about all of this? We're not going to uh, probably spend too much more time on this next week unless something major happens, but I'd love to include your thoughts. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and pop that contact link. Now look, ladies and gentlemen, I'm looking right here at the Red Book. We're going to do a little Red Book predicting after this episode with the Mumble Room, but every episode, Mr. Chase likes to make a prediction about what we can get that subreddit to. Subreddit? Yes, we have a subreddit over at unfiltered.reddit.com, and I'm going to say... You guys have been awesome in the past, but the last two weeks we were off, it was a little slow. Now, I know it's been a slow news week, but come on, guys. Let's go over there. Go over to unfiltered.reddit.com. You can help influence this show. Let us know what topics you are interested in and keep track of additional stuff that doesn't even make it into the show. Mr. Chase likes to make a prediction. I'm not going to make a prediction while he's gone. I'm going to keep his prediction on the books so we can review it, but let's blow it out of the water. Let's give him a great welcoming home by going over to unfiltered.reddit.com and subscribing Make him feel real good. Like everybody missed him, right? By going over there and subscribing. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfilter. We'll see you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.